God, this is really funny because I'm looking at this guy making out with his little tiny dog and he just, he looks like an old football jock with like a sunburnt face and a really tan body, but he's making out with this little tiny, what is that? That's like a, a miniature terrier of some sort. And wow, like the dog is just so not interested and he just keeps biting the ears and like making out with the back of its head. Wow. This is bizarre. Okay, so uh, we, we should say that this podcast is for those people who are 18 years or older and... Uh, uh, of course, I should also thank you for downloading uh, an episode of the Massacast. We're actually in the JetBlue terminal at JFK Airport. Why? Uh, because it's Saturday, and that's what we do uh, on Saturdays. Yeah, we just come in here and hang out and look at the people who are traveling. Since, you know. So we saw the movie Terminal uh, with Tom Hanks. We thought you know, that's the way to live. No, actually, uh, we're, we're about to fly. We're actually going to be heading to West Palm Beach, Florida. Um... It's my first time in Florida. Have you ever been to Florida before? Uh, usually around. Oh, hold on. This will serve as an update announcement for flight 705. That's not us. Service to San Juan, Puerto Rico. Um, should be us. We should go. Yeah, we should go there. That would be good. See, this is a, this is what happens when we're in a big rush. This guy's still making out with his dog. It's been like 10 minutes. It's like he's on ecstasy. He just keeps rubbing his face all over all right, the back of They're playing Richard Marx. Uh, that's when you know you're in a good airport terminal. When they're playing Richard Marks' greatest hits. Don't mean nothing. Boy, that guy really is making out with his dog. He just hasn't stopped. It's like he's on ecstasy. He just keeps rubbing his face on it. It's like, like you know how you like, see cats with catnip? It's, it's like he's a cat and that cat, that dog is covered in catnip. He's just rubbing... Or oh, he, now he's or touching he's, the dog inappropriately. That's just where I'm... Or he's me and that's leather. That, yeah, you do have that. She does have that uh, reaction to leather. So anyway, uh, all and, pets must oh, remain in their enclosed carrier while in the terminal and on the aircraft. Unless you're that guy and you're going to be making out with your pet the whole time. Take them out of their carrier for any reason. Thank you for your cooperation. You're welcome. So, uh, all right, that's it. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to talk over the announcements. So, um, this episode, we sat down with Amanda Wildfire. She came over to the apartment. It was a lot of fun seeing her. Um, it was the first time I've really met her in person and spoken to her. I've seen her performing and, you know, just having fun and playing. At, I've never seen one of her presentations, but I've seen her, like, playing and performing at different parties. And, you know, she's always such an impressive woman, always decked out in, like, the most beautiful rubber wear. And she's already incredibly tall. And then she just, she's mastered the art of marching around in the enormous, enormous, shoes too so she's just this really impressive person to look at and it was nice to actually see her face because I've never seen her face before she was always wearing a rubber hood when I saw her oh see I've seen her pre- do presentations at Test Fest and stuff like that so I've seen her and I've met her very briefly so this is the first time I actually got to sit down and talk with her I'm sorry I was waiting for you to actually say that exact same thing you just said except in Spanish here's my conversation with Amanda Wildfire it was so great that she came over uh, and I hope you enjoy it um so the, the first of all, thank you for coming all the way from Minneapolis just to be interviewed. I feel so privileged. This is really an honor, really. No. Axe, you're full of shit. <laughs> okay. You just happen to be in town. We have a mutual friend, and she said, "Would you like to interview Amanda?" I'm like, "Absolutely." And um, the thousand bucks didn't hurt either. No, that's true. Whoa, is that how much she said? I said, you know, keep it within reason, but that was a lot higher than I. That's very reasonable That's right. for an hour of my time. But for considering my budget, I'm saying, I mean, you, well, you can tell I spent it all on the studio, right? Obviously. Um, but you are from Minneapolis. You're in New York. How, you often you can make it to New York? Just a couple times a year? or A couple times a year, yeah. yeah. And that's just for work and play? 
work, I like to go to the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's the museums, and I have lots of friends here, mm-hmm. and uh, my family's from the East Coast, so... When I found out you were going to be here and you were willing to be interviewed, I'm like, I can talk about the Midwest scene and see what the scene is like in the Midwest, because that's... I have very limited experience, even though I'm from there, about what the scene is like. Um, other than, you know, I imagine a lot of ludifisk torture, maybe. That's right. Le- le- maybe lefts are rolling or something like that. That's that's my my hold family. Held out to the woodshed. Out of the woodshed. Uh, where the wood chipper. Grandpa pulls open a you know rips open a can of warp ass. Right. Right. I imagine there's some ice fishing torture that goes on every now and again. I mean, ice dipping, actually. They really? put a crane out. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they don't apply the Vaseline. They just go directly naked into the ice water. I've, I've actually done that. Have you done that before? And the fish nibble at your toes. Okay, I didn't, didn't experience that. No, I have, I've not done the ice fishing thing. I have, um, I have jumped into the, the Pacific Ocean in Eureka, California, New Year's. Mm-hmm. And that's plenty cold. <laughs> but what is the scene like in in Minneapolis, and, or I should say, because Minneapolis is very different from the rest of that area, right? I mean, just you're, you're in... It is. It's more urbane. It's, right, very it's much so. It's quite liberal. Uh, eccentricity is encouraged. Yeah. And, uh, you know, pretty much I've made that town my own. I've developed little pockets of places that I know I can go and do whatever the heck I want, yeah. and it's marvelous. Um Every so often, we take over the uh, Walker Art Center Sculpture Garden, and we do um, the pony uh, play morning. I drag everybody out of bed at four in the morning. We dress everyone up. We take the carts down. Mm -hmm. And uh, between about five and seven, we go around the sculpture garden. It's lovely in, uh, say, July, and warm enough in the morning so that, uh, you know, flowers are blooming and joggers are going by. And... You know, you'd think that they would be upset by this, but the sculpture garden is a public park. And if there's no nudity and no, you know, whipping or overt subjugation, a lot of people kind of view it as eccentric performance art. Well, of course somebody gets up at four in the morning and dresses five of their friends as ponies. And of course, I mean, it's Minnesota. Why not? Right not? I guess my practice isn't really um, Midwestern in that uh, I've had some interactions with the local scene, but most of my clients are from out of town, Mm -hmm. and they come in for um, longer sessions that are really about creating um, an experience away from the normal world. So they'll come and spend several days just in the studio. We won't go out. Um, So it's a little bit like Fantasy Island, you know? in that you go a long distance and then you arrive somewhere and then you're ensconced in this experience until it's time to be let go. How does that differ from, you know, if someone wanted to see you for, you know, a few hours or something like that, what goes into something that lasts several days and how do you prepare mentally for that? How do you prepare the other person for that? That's my sort of general attitude towards sessions. Mm -hmm. Longer is normal and Mm -hmm. shorter is... Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. You know, I'm perfectly willing to do a shorter session. The minimum is about two hours. But yeah. I prefer three. Um, the mindset is really that, you know, you're setting up not just a scene, but a tableau. So generally speaking, there's quite a few emails that might go back and forth. A lot of detail. There might be special equipment or special clothing 
ordered. There might be something of a script, which is not necessarily followed specifically, but it often conveys the tone of what we're going to do. And then I go about hiring uh, a variety of individuals to come in and take part in the tableau. They might not be seen people, but they add to the ambiance right. of what's being created depending on what the person's fantasy is. So, for example, yourself. You might call me and you say, you know, I've been in the scene. I'm a heavy player. I've been in the scene for you know, 15, 20 years. And I've never had my ultimate fantasy, which is, you know, six women dressed as Wonder Woman lassoing me all at once and dancing around to um, the Charlie's Angels theme. Of course. And so, right. My uh, reputation precedes me. I can tell. So, you know, you might do that and I might say, okay. All right, what's your budget? And you might right. have, for example, you know, somebody who's looking for something like that might have an idea of a few people around the country that they would like flown in, yeah. you know, to do that. Well, because the, the, the big reason I know you is because we have a, quite a few mutual friends, and I've been, I remember making plans with some of them and said, hey, well, what are you doing this weekend? They said, oh, I'm going to Minneapolis uh, for this huge thing. And they wouldn't go into details, but you could tell they were very excited about something. You could tell that it was going to be a big production. And your name would be, you know, would be mentioned. I'm like, wow, what goes on there? You know, that just sounds like this. And, you know, having gone to Minneapolis, I just it's like the last place I would imagine something so awesome to be, right? Well, that's the beauty of it, right. though, because art and eccentricity are not only tolerated, they're funded. Yeah. I got um, a uh, $1,000 or $3,000 grant from the Jerome Foundation in 2001 to do my one-woman show about my career. Right. So, you know, it, it's sort of... We're not just, you know, we're not pariahs, we're celebrities. Right, right. Right? Right. Well... And there's a lot of freedom because nobody's worried about all the things you guys worry about. Yeah. You know, I think that New York, for example, is all about, um, you know, keeping up with the Joneses or making sure everything looks so, you know, or that um, it's just my impression that everybody's, you know, kind of more on the East. We're just a little more straight-laced, a little more careful about our image to others, protecting our reputation, protecting our financial circumstances, yeah. all that anxiety prevents, you know, the sort of spontaneity and freedom that, and knowing, I'm from Philadelphia, so yeah. I know what that feels like to go from that kind of constrained, maybe a little bit preppy, maybe a little bit sort of old school kind of propriety to the Midwest where it's like a little bit of, you know, the spirit of the wild, wild west is a little, it's just, there's a little bit going on there. So you get a freedom that you don't have here. And people in, in some areas I've found people are excited that something is happening. Heavy I don't play. think of New Yorkers as terribly difficult to impress. I mean, you know, all due respect, but I kind of feel that y'all are a bit sheltered and, and, uh, um, there is something to feeling like you need to work a little harder to create something that's really magical. Mm -hmm. And spending a lot of time on the East Coast and a lot of the time on the West Coast, there is um, the sense on either coast that a lot of money and energy and time goes to paying higher rents, yeah. to maintaining some kind of escalation of career or of property ownership. And it's true, you don't have that in the Midwest, mm -hmm. where people are pretty satisfied. Yeah. However, the energy they put into their crafts 
or into the music or into their theater or into their domination is mm, it's pretty liberated because nothing's holding them back. You're right because in like in New York there's always that sense of uh, oh I'm living here but my ultimate goal is to like for example we're in, we're in Harlem and so the ultimate goal is oh gotta move to the East Village or gotta move to Greenwich Village or something like there's always another step up that mm-hmm. you're working towards right whereas almost every member of my family is in the same house for they've had for you know mm-hmm. 20 30 years you know um, um, it makes me wonder if they're doing that because they're working on their kink <laughs> maybe um, Certainly they have a lot more free time, so if they wanted to engage in some sort of unusual creative activity, right. they might have a little extra time. That's true. If someone were to say to you, um, I want to spend three days, mm-hmm. uh, you decide what we're going to do, I'm sure that's happened, what, what do you do for three days? Well, actually no one would ever say that to me, because normally people come with a very deliberate idea of the kinds of things that they want to experience because there's no other place in the world that they can experience them. So there's often a laundry list of things that they've seen on my website or um, I'm also known for enjoying uh, being given a challenge. Here's a picture. Here's a story. Here's something that I read. What can you do with this? And so I get to put my own personal spin on it. Generally speaking, people want um, some kind of heavy bondage immersion of some sort, whether it's rubber, caging, metal, heavy leather, suspension, uh, kidnapping, um, a dote to abandonment, but uh, you know, something that really addresses the fact that I have such a large and unusual collection of equipment. Mm-hmm. I don't tend to see a lot of people who are, have no interest in bondage whatsoever. That's rare. Um, they might have a very strong interest, for example, in insane asylums. Mm-hmm. Well, I have an, an unparalleled collection of very bizarre European insane asylum equipment. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, let's talk about whether it's the German stuff and the British stuff or perhaps something else, you know. And uh, I've been to the Humane Restraints Factory in Madison, Wisconsin, which is a Midwestern town. Yeah, sure. Uh, with Jim Stewart of the original Fetters in London in tow. And he gave me a tour with his special sales representative. So I feel like I've got that area covered. Because uh, there are several people who, uh, when, when they heard that you, and I'm sure you get this question a lot, uh, when they, they've heard that you're, whenever someone mentions your name and just at a party or something like that, they'll say, oh my God, she's got so much stuff. Uh, and in fact, when uh, Saad mentioned the fact that you were coming over to a, a, another friend, she said, the question she said is, what don't you have? So is it just, you just collect, you get gifts, you have wish lists, you have a bucket all list? Of, yeah. All of the above. And I think sometimes, um, you know, there are things that I've always wanted to make, so I've designed a whole bunch of, uh, I challenged myself a couple of years ago to design five pieces of bondage gear, all different, um, made of different kinds of metal. Mm-hmm. And so I did. Um, I have people who come to me who introduce me to new kinds, uh, you know, orthopedic braces, mm-hmm. that's kind of a new one, um, or um, immobilization halos, those kinds of medical braces are really fun. Um, 
And then there are some things that I'm just attracted to. Like I've always been attracted to dominating horses. And so when I found out about pony play, it was like, well, of course, mm-hmm. I have to have, you know, the most interesting or the most workable pony gear. I have a really wide range of things that I'm interested in. Some years I invest in a lot of latex. Um, sometimes people will give me gifts uh, of things that they think I will like. Um, I'm always intrigued by the items by Mr. S. Right. Since you're so well known, I imagine there's even points where manufacturers will send you something to try out to see if there's any way to improve mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Smith, who makes um, all of Mr. S's uh, metal bondage gear, including the samurai cock cage and uh, other kinds of metal gear that they sell at mm-hmm. Mr. S, uh, sent me a whole box of prototypes once. That was quite a kick. So uh, Prototypes you, of his metal chastity devices, yeah. I should say. So but when you're doing that, do you feel... Like, oh, good, this is how I can improve a, a, a product before it goes Absolutely. out there? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm actually astonished, you know, and this is going to sound very sort of, you know, like a bunch of bravado, but um, I'm astonished that they don't call me before they put stuff on the market <laughs> because um, I'm kind of notorious for sending things back and saying, this is great. Now, this is how to make it better. Yeah. This is how to make it fit the body better. This is how to make it... Uh, so that you can't spit it out. This is how to make it more versatile. Pony play. Can we talk about pony play? Do you mind if we talk about pony play? I've always wondered what the appeal was. I was. I've always wondered what it was until I saw it in person. Right. Mm-hmm. When I saw it in person, then I was like, okay, I can kind of get that. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I've seen puppy play, and it didn't register in my head what the big deal was. But for some reason, pony play, it just seems. I didn't say it speaks to me. I don't think it's a thing of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but it really was kind of it was really kind of amazing to see it in action. Can you describe like what the appeal is for you as a dominant of pony play, and also maybe what you think is the appeal for submissives? Well, I think I'm an unusual player in that I really I fall in love with the gear and what it does to somebody, and. Um, Pony play is one of those role plays that requires a lot of bondage-oriented gear that just happens to be pony-themed. Kind of like cross-dressing, where there's a lot of gear that is cross-dressing-oriented, it's bondage-oriented with a cross-dressing theme. Corsets, high-heeled boots, lacing somebody into, you know, a tight posture collar, corset, arm binder combination that's all color coordinated with little ruffles. Mm -hmm. So that combination of uh, submission, if you will, role play, submissive role play, um, that involves some kind of uh, theatricality and costume uh, that also um, adds to my control of the person, those are the elements that I'm drawn to. Maybe that's why I don't, excuse me, I always get a little choked up when I talk about pony play. Maybe that's why I don't see it as equal to puppy play. You know, as far as as far as the person getting the mindset of a puppy. And, oh, no. Yeah. Puppy, yeah, puppy play is, um, and I, I've done some puppy play as well. Puppy play is a, a much different form of control um, where uh, 
puppies really like to be told what to do or how to do it in very rapid form. Okay, boy. All right. Fetch. Fetch. Mm -hmm. Good boy. Sit. Okay. Drop it. Drop it. And so that the control is verbal and not necessarily gear-oriented. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you can put somebody in, in little puppy mitts and a collar or a puppy mask, and those are all marvelous things. But... Um, to my mind, it's less of a um, bondage-oriented role play and much more of a an ownership slash mind control role play, yeah. where both the owner and the puppy really just sort of dissolve into their roles, really meld. What I found interesting was is, uh, I've heard two people who were really into pony play talk once. I overheard. Mm -hmm. I wasn't eavesdropping or anything like that, but. Uh, and it sounded it sounded very familiar to a geek talking about something they could go like for example it's, it's like me talking to some, another Mac user about our equipment and stuff like that or my dad talking to our neighbor about a tractor or something you know it sounded right. there was it, they were just really obsessing about oh this is oh you can do that is is it what percentage is of it is, is the gear and what percentage of it is the control of the person, do you know? Well, I, I think it's different for everybody. I mean, certainly you can get all crazy with gear, and mm -hmm. that's definitely the end that I'm on. Um, there's also people that, you know, boy, you just throw a little rope around their head and, you know, some artful bondage with, say, a little a rope get a rope um, a rope bit mm -hmm. or something like that, um, and then maybe some little rope hooves. You know, you don't need to get all geared out to really participate in pony play. Um, in preparation for uh, one of our pony events, we got everybody to go to um, the Minnesota State Fair and watch the Lipizzaners. And see, that's a very elegant, right, mm -hmm. sort of take on English-style um, dressage. Mm -hmm. And so some of our group was very attracted to that and learning the different gates and that sort of dance between, you know, the controller and the horse. Other people are much more interested in rodeo, where they want, you know, more of a Western feel to their pony. Wow. Um, Charger Pony has got his own site, chargerpony.com, very interesting. And uh, he designed his own front hooves and wears a Western saddle and goes to events all over uh, the Midwest and has ladies ride him and men ride him. And he just loves to be a horse. That's right? amazing. I guess so that's... it's very... Western style pony play. Yeah. And then there are other people who really just enjoy the sweet submission of a, of a, uh, horses are very fragile, temperamental, easily started, startled, they're very emotional. Um, so you want to choose the breed that you're in. Are you a workhorse? Are you an Arabian? You know, are you a Mustang? You know, and, and, and sort of adopt all the breed characteristics. So um, you can do all of that, or you can just play horsey. You know, I mean, it really, it's as varied as any other fetish in the SMC. That is so amazing. Because when, especially when you sort of generalize, if you're, if you're not really into it or not exposed to it, you know, you don't put a lot of time and effort to, to get to dig into it because you're not generally interested in it. And then you find out about all, this, all these niches and mm -hmm. it's really amazing. We had a woman who um, was a very good friend of mine and she did circus with me. I did trapeze together and I asked her, um, due to her background in, in uh, horse training, 
um, if she would come and train us in acting like horses and acting like trainers. Mm-hmm. And so we had a horse and trainer workshop run by this woman who just basically showed us, you know, where to stand, how to communicate with the horse, how to back the horse up, how to run the horse through um, a uh, kind of an agility or um, obstacle course kind of thing, how to um, communicate discipline or control versus you know reward. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing as is puppy training, but it's obviously a different you know species. So the interaction is going to be different. Yeah, and, and it's it is it is very beautiful when you see someone who's you know. I remember I've seen people who you know completely blindfolded, going through a play space, oh, and yeah. navigating perfectly, completely blind, just relying on the pure trust of their trainer. Mm-hmm. Or is that what you call it? Is it a trainer? Is that a, or? trainer, owner, sure. rider? And I was really, I've been, it's really beautiful. Really, uh, I would not consider myself um, a, a thorough expert in pony play. I've been doing it for a very long time, and I have my own way of doing things. Mm-hmm. But um, that's my take. The uh, hardest thing to teach a pony, and then we don't have to talk about this anymore. No, no. The hardest no, thing to teach a pony is how to winnie. That's the hardest thing. I'm not even going to go into how excruciating it is to teach. A pony, anything, but to you win, go into it a win, little bit. Winning is, well, you get all sorts of noises out of people. Sure. Um, and uh, of course, girls do like a pretty little sound, but men tend to sound like elephants <laughs> right. on the first try, or they sound like they're strangling. Right. And then, of course, you know, you have the whole bit phenomenon. Like, are you going to allow your pony to actually close the lips over the bit? Or are you going to, or are you going to require them to keep the lips away from the teeth so you can really see the bit and see it? You know, I think pony play is very visual. It is heavy bondage. This is the the thing when anyone asks about Amanda Wildfire. In my experience, you say, "Well, what does she enjoy? What does she?" They will almost always say, "Heavy bondage" is the first thing that comes up. And, um. If someone hasn't seen pictures of it, I think it would be difficult to find out what, what heavy bondage actually is unless they've seen it or experienced it firsthand. Um, but I've seen quite a few photos that you've done with, well, you sent me the links from Serious Bondage and, and other, other sites. And um, wow. I think that there's principles that run through all the different kinds, right? We have, you know, mummification with, say, medical grade fiberglass, mm-hmm. or we have mummification rubber. Or we have immobilization with metal, um, like my favorite, the uh, hanger strapping. You know, it was one of the most fun scenes we did. Um, we took somebody out to um, Mark's garden terrace, which is this wooden deck out behind his house in Serious Bondage Institute in San Francisco, and we literally screwed him to the deck mm-hmm. using hanger strapping, and. Uh, this hanger strapping was actually kind of fun because we had made it ourselves. We had cut the pieces, and then friends of mine and I had cut strips from the back of a um, an office chair mat, you know, the real spiky kind. So that was riveted on to the metal straps. And so if you take the metal straps and the spikes and put it on bearskin and then screw it down to a wooden plank, that's just 
all different kinds of right, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just like everything about it was exciting. We were there in latex. We were, we had our drills. I was there with um, Gwen, um, who does a great rubber fetish site in LA. And, you know, we had our drill, power drills and our latex dresses on. And, you know, hmm. it was just super villainous. Um, so the thing that runs through all the different, um, all the different forms of bondage, there tends to be layering. There tends to be some element of extremity bondage. There tends to, tends to be some element of uh, sensory deprivation or heightened um, senses, say, for example, the prickers. Mm -hmm. So the bondage is actually pain-inducing or some kind of sensation. Um, uh, with leather, it might be, or rubber, there might be a lot of straps involved. I recently did a scene with... Um, six cat suits, six corsets, six pairs of gloves, six pairs of stockings alternating and they were all uh, red, white, and black. So all of the cat suits had some of those colors and were all different styles and designs and then of course six hoods. And it, it takes a long time to do all of that yeah. but um, the idea is, and that was you know what my my subject wanted and it's to me the challenge is to find a way of mediating the intensity of the bondage with what the person is physically finding enjoyable or is getting them there whatever you yeah. want to call that subspace or nirvana yeah. yeah so that's an engineering quality that I like to bring to heavy bondage scenes and of course the equipment has to be very high quality very um exciting to use because it's been engineered in a way that's really fun that has a lot of um adjustability so that if i run into you know an issue i don't i want the person to reach the point of saturation in their bondage um in a way that is completely seamless but oftentimes if i'm doing something new each time right i have to count on the gear to be able to you know sort of roll with me yeah so I don't like to use things that are just boom, slap, it's done. Yeah. Well, in the reverse of that, though, is um, what, what happens in, when you're in a situation when you have to get someone out of there quickly? Well, that's the thing, is that I, I first of all, never play with people who are, it's a good question, I don't play with beginners. I don't play with people who don't communicate mm -hmm. well. Um, and I always calculate exactly how much time it's going to take to get me to get the person out mm -hmm. so um, frankly it's ex a matter of experience you know you don't go slamming into a six layer latex scene with somebody you've never done this before yeah. and he's never done it before he, she's never done it before and expect things to turn out all right right that's a good point how do you how do you, I suppose you ask for references? You, is Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in a letter of introduction to any person, whether they're professional or not, should include a list of the people you've seen in the past. Um, if you don't want to name names, then just say, oh, I saw a person in Poughkeepsie, and mm -hmm. I saw a person in, you know, Isanti, and a person in San Francisco, and this was the length of the session, and this is what we did, and mm -hmm. um, I've been tying myself up since I was a kid, and, and really what I'd like is this and this. I recently had a request for a seven-hour leather bondage scene from somebody who said, oh, I've seen this person and that person. They were small towns in, let's say, Ohio. 
and so I already know the person's not had the broadest of experience. Yeah. However, the wording of his letter was very passionate. He was very, very interested in being immobilized. Now, key thing. Of course, I'm a teacher, too. He had said over and over again in his letter that he wanted all of the bondage to be as tight as possible. So I already knew going into it that anybody asking me for bondage that's as tight as possible needs to learn a little bit about how to express himself. You know, because tight, as tight as possible is obviously, as we all know, it's like being whipped as hard as possible. It's probably not what you're really looking for. Yeah. Well, it's, it's when he says tight as possible, it's based on his realm of experience, which is absolutely, you know. absolutely. So I gave him a little lesson on what would be as tight as possible versus what I prefer, which is nice and tight. Yeah. And so we had a lesson in. <laughs> okay, this is as tight as possible. Yes, Mr. S. Okay, and then this is nice and tight. I see. Okay, yeah. all right, I get it. Nice and tight. Thank you, Mistress. You know that's when your liver isn't in your throat. That's that's right. Precisely, yeah. and you, you know, there's only so many times you can do that before your liver just pops right out of right. it. Right. Yeah. Oh, it breaks drive, a few know. teeth. You know, you've already had the experience. Yeah, we know, so you know, you're well. missing yeah. some teeth. So, all right. Oh, is there anything else about heavy bondage that? I guess I did have a couple of follow-up questions about hay bondage, and that is, uh, um, it definitely doesn't sound like it's something for people who are claustrophobic. Unless they want to press, Unless they want to... That kind of limit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, in my, my experience is always, I, I think I've only experienced what would be considered heavy bondage maybe once or twice maybe, and um, the idea of, of, of bondage, of, or the point of bondage from my experience level is that it's to keep the person in place while you do things to them, right? Um, but at the same time, judging by the photos, uh, and there were quite a few of them, there looks really, really awesome, but it seems like a lot of them, um, it's about the experience, the long-term experience of being tied up, or, or I should say being bound, um, and like you said, immersed. It doesn't seem like, uh, am I wrong there? I mean. No, I think that a lot of stuff goes on. I think that if you're artful yeah. in your bondage, you leave exposed the areas that you can um, work on. Mm -hmm. um, genitals, buttocks, the nipples, the mouth. Yeah. Um, well, well, like, but I don't know why I, I got in my head of someone being in there for like seven or eight hours. Does that happen often too? or? Sure, but you're doing things to them, perhaps moving the whole rig around in different positions so they don't get, you know, stuck in one, they don't get stiff in one position. Um, I'm not a big fan of those, you know, tie the person up and leave them for long periods of time. It's it's not a, a major fetish of mine mm -hmm. to tie somebody up and just have them lie there. Uh, I like to do things to them, and I like to... Um, test the bondage of course you might put a one layer on and then you know do a few things and then discover that oh no you can move this now that's no good so now we're gonna have to put another layer on and then we're gonna have to test it again and oh my goodness look at that you can still move your head well that's no good because if you're bopping your head against the bondage table you might get yourself in a concussion and, and my insurance doesn't cover that so we're <laughs> going to be very careful all right now that we have everything tied down let's apply the electrics or nipple clamps or whatever all else um, and uh, oh look at that you can still talk all right well let's put an inflatable breathe through gag in okay that's much better but you know what I'm still not happy with how immobilized your head is so let's add a nose hook on top of that 
and then dressed it. So, you know, the this, this scene sort of goes, you know, uh, in different levels of bondage. Mm-hmm. You don't just throw the person into heavy bondage and leave it at that. Um, oftentimes there's electrics or something like vibrators going on underneath something that you can't see, a butt plug, um, electric butt plug, vibrating, uh, also, you know, sort of a moving butt plug that's attached to the venous. Um, you might have lots of things happening, you just can't see it. I mean, we right. had somebody buried, you know, six feet in the ground for 24 hours, and we had all sorts of things hooked up to him. But, you know, if you took a picture of it, it'd be like, well, there's a nice pile of dirt. You can't really see what's going on in bondage, I think, and that's why um, people who are more exhibitionistic... Um, may not be as attracted to it because you go to a party and tie somebody up and it's like, oh, there's a guy tied up. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, unless they're struggling like mad or or whatever. But there's a certain intensity that, you know, uh, if you're a control fetishist like I am, sure, you know, inflicting pain or sensation is all well and good, but I like the fact that they can't stop me. They can't prevent me from turning it up. They can't. Uh, they can't move. Well, I didn't say you couldn't move. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're to you know don't don't go anywhere. You can't get away. Well, like people say, oh, men leave. You know, not my men. <laughs> they they leave when I'm ready to let them go. You mentioned you had someone underground for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. How does something like that? How do you plan a 24-hour underground scene out? Well, you, you bring in three guys who, you know, have some engineering background and love to build things yeah. and you build a, you know, a foundation like one would a house so that it doesn't, you know, collapse in on the person. And then you have another layer of metal bars so that that doesn't, you know, collapse just in case. And then you build a casket and that goes inside of the two other layers of support. And then you have a bunch of people, you know, sort of milling about helping you. It sounds and, uh, a lot like a scene from the A Team. Yeah, it's, it's like, kind of like it's 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 like that. Or if you saw the movie Buried, um, and you wondered what it would be like to uh, to be underground for several days, um, nothing but a cell phone. He had a cell phone. Mm-hmm. We had um, you know a system with fans, uh, water. Um, we had timed it so that um, we had sort of a quick release mechanism. We timed it so that we could get the dirt off and then the top off. And um, I guess from the outside, it probably would have looked, you know, wow, how are you ever going to get him out of there? But that was the idea, yeah. is that it looked much more complicated and much more difficult to get him out than it really was. And was this something where he emailed you or contacted you and yep he was somebody who um had played with me before we had done um a uh, a four-day scene that turned into about a month-long thing um he was one of the participants in a kidnapping we will go and uh this is a guy who really you know jumped in with both feet you know he was a heavy cage and prison and uh you know captivity enthusiast, you know, very sort of broad appetite for long-term captivity. And he had a marvelous spirit of, you know, creativity and that theatricality. So we became friends and he, he wound up just taking the month off and helping me with a bunch of other, you know, pretty elaborate hardcore scenes, including a interstate kidnapping. Okay, we'll get to the interstate kidnapping. See, here's the problem is that you mention these things and I have to write them down or else I'm never going to get back to 
it's like speaking of layers um i definitely want to talk to you about the kidnapping okay. the, the, the 24-hour scene um were you communicating with him this oh, entire yeah. time mm-hmm. and then yeah. uh, and like what uh, we had um all kinds of wires and cell phones and uh you know, we had tested everything already to begin with before yeah. we had actually, you know, gone into it. And if we were to do it again, we would probably make it more edgy. But this was like, okay, strictly timed. You know, you're coming out. Um, that was the first time we had done it. So yeah. we didn't push the envelope. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's really important when you're trying something that's edgy or something that you haven't had a whole lot of experience with, or your bottom hasn't a whole lot of experience with. Just, you know sometimes just trying it I call it prototyping or demoing it's it's okay yeah you know and also there's there's a, a level of of fun that has that happens as you ramp it up absolutely and also you're not as nervous as if you had gone to 11 right away you know that's right yeah but I'm not like a, I don't consider myself an edge player or an extreme player yeah maybe a heavy player I would consider myself a thorough player I have a very long attention span <laughs> and that's probably my most dangerous <laughs> what so so over the course of 24 hours uh, bathroom was taken care of mm-hmm. and all that everything. yeah he was catheterized what was the first thing he did or, did or said when he when he stepped out he just lay there he didn't really want to come out I think yeah. he would have probably loved to have done 48 hours was he aware of the time yeah, we had to, that was one of those things that we, you know, we wanted to make sure that, you know, since he was uh, a larger gentleman and we wanted to make sure that he was okay, mm-hmm. you know, we made sure we had he had the, the cell phone and that had oh, okay. a, a clock on it. Yeah. But probably we would find some other way of doing the communication that didn't have a phone or didn't have a, a clock. Well, and that makes me wonder because, like, if the next time you did it without a clock, it would be interesting to see if the person experiencing it experienced, felt like it was longer with a clock or if time would just speed by like they've done they've done similar tests on people and they find that after I can't remember what the time is like after 8 hours without them knowing what the time is and then they wait for 24 or 48 hours or whatever like that um, that they they think it happens like that there's no concept of it right um, I think it depends on the person if the person really likes to space out and enjoys the idea of being disconnected, then it doesn't matter how long you tie them up or whether they're underground or whether they're just in a pair of metal cuffs, time will seem to stop. If you have a bottom who is very controlling, who likes to have, you know, everything just so, very analytical, and is unwilling to, for whatever reason, let go, he will sit there and count the clicks of the clock, the clicks of the fan, the number of mu- the number of songs that go by, just to you know be in control of something. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you have a lot of experience working with people who know what they want, or at least many people who know what they want and mm-hmm. how to, how to ask for it. One conversation I've had with another friend of mine, and this is actually a common co- a conversation I have with with Saad, is is um, I'm I'm not very comfortable asking for what I want because. In my mind, I don't know exactly what I want because I don't know what she's in the mood for, right? Absolutely. And so your scene comes from the desire to serve her will. Right. People don't come to me because they want to serve my will. 
people come to me because they want to be shot out into the stratosphere and they want some experienced person to make sure they can still breathe yeah. and they make it back to earth in one piece. I guess my question is, is what's the difference between someone asking for what they want and someone expressing their desires? What's the difference between saying it like a gentleman and saying it like an asshole, I guess is my question. Um, I think, you know, um, that's a very good question. I, I, I don't generally get approached by uh, assholes, you know, unless somebody writes to me and says, you know, I'm really not submissive. What I'd really like is a scene where I can resist, where I'll spit out the gag if I can, I'll mm -hmm. escape if I can, um, and is rude at every turn. I just did a very long scene with somebody like that. Yeah. And it's tremendous fun to finally get them to admit that, you know, I've got you where you live. I've yeah. finally taken away every shred of your control, of your dignity, of your, you know, logical sense of how your life should be. And doesn't it feel like fun? Yeah. You know? And sometimes they, you know, they go for it and sometimes they don't. In terms of asking for a scene like that, it's, it's, it's I think, important to note what your headspace is. Not everybody enjoys a scene as a submissive. Um, some people love to resist. And so you have to be very specific and say, okay, well, you know, as the dominant of the scene, I'm not interested in doing a wrestling scene where I'm wrestling you to the ground and beating you, you know, into a state of uh, comatose, you know, so I can get your clothes off and tie you up. I'm not interested in using drugs or, you know, gas to control you, yeah. you know. So uh, what's fun is, you know, if somebody wants to do a scene where they're resisting or being a jerk, um, we just come up with a role play that involves that. Yeah. You're a, an agent who believes you can outsmart, you know, any damn woman. And certainly not, you know, a woman that's, you know, younger or pretty or, you know, in high heels. Okay, kidnapping. Interstate kidnapping. Isn't that a fine, fine phrase? That is a fine phrase. They, they made me take it off of my website because the credit card processing company said that I couldn't use the word kidnap in conjunction with a gallery. Now, mind you, the article is humorous. It's we The three of us were great buddies by the time we went off and did this. There was absolutely no element of coercion at all. Yeah. But... The word kidnap is kind of like the word rape. You know, you never want to do either of those things or experience either of those things. However, they have such a charge. Yeah. It just sounds so... <clears throat> kind of like, same thing with the abduction. You right. Know, that's, that's very, yeah. Yeah. Like George Carlin used to have a thing about uh, the seven dirty words and how the, the, uh, the words to describe the dirty words were actually worse than the dirty words, you know? Like uh, suggestive, you know, and they think, <laughs> you know, and how that's, I love George it's a lot worse. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Um, Jumbo shrimp, yeah. So, how does one do this in a way that you know doesn't notify the authorities if someone sees you? Okay, we have to remember that most of the kidnappings that I did were pre 9 11. Mm -hmm. um, and or so obviously over the top RT farty whatever that um, 
frequently I would just have, you know, several camera people and somebody um, shooting, even if there was no film in the camera. And it looked for all the world like we were shooting uh, a movie, oh, a wow, video, right? Yeah. And so if you were just walking down the street and turned and saw this happening, you wouldn't notice what was going on per se as, oh my God, that person is being dragged into a car. You would notice, oh my God, they're shooting a movie. Weird. These What's that reality for? shows are getting really bizarre. Well, this was years ago before reality shows, but right. yeah. And I think after 9 11, um, the thrill of doing a kidnapping um, became more, uh, you know, it had to be discreet. It wasn't as fun, you know, and, and it was. Um, I like doing a lot of really overtly public things that really kind of don't seem all that odd, you know? Like, what do you mean? Well, we did a, a flotation scene at a hotel, and I rented the hotel for a private party. And again, we didn't do anything, no nudity, no sexuality or whatever, but um, I really wanted to float my client in my inflatable body bag. And so we got all dressed up in rubber, and I told the, the hotel person who had rented me the space that we were shooting a video for Damask Rubber. And it was all Damask Rubber, so it was not a lie, you know, and we were shooting video. And why not? And so they were like, okay. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Or like, they didn't even really get that what it was, you know. Like, right. People weren't really sort of hip to BDSM back then. So it was like, okay, you're going to float in the pool in some inflatables. And nobody knows what that is. Nobody really, it's, it's all right, sure, why not, you know. <laughs> so, so all the... Those... So I never walk in and say, I'm going to tie somebody up in your pool. Right, <laughs> right. In latex rubber from Germany, where all the you know the perverts and the and the rubberists hang out. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? With the gas masks and the hose. You know what I'm talking about? No, we don't go in like that. And so I have the sweet face, and I'm just the girl next door, a sweet Midwestern girl. You know, and you know I'm yeah, shooting a movie. Sure. I'm shooting a movie. You know. Right. I suppose we're there, shooting a commercial. There, there, there was this we thing. were we were going, you know, we were kidnapping this guy across across country, and a state trooper stopped us and was like, "Well, what are you doing? Oh, we're doing a travelogue for you know, like it's it's a blog online, and uh, we have this sculpture, and we're just taking it around and posing it in front of different things and and taking pictures, and you know." We're done, so we're going to head out. Okay, well, wow, that sounds really cool. You just have yourself a nice day. Of course. You have the travel channel, right? We'll look for it in about two months. It'll be there. Right. That's really interesting. And I think it's important, too, to come from the point of view where there's no shame and there's no intent to shock. You're just there doing your thing, and mm -hmm. everybody else is doing their thing, and it's all good, and it's not a problem. And if, you know, by chance, uh, this never happens, but, you know, if somebody says, well, move along now, move along and find another thing you know mm -hmm. i mean don't get attached to yeah. you know a specific thing but if you go into it sure that you're going to get caught you're going to get in trouble thrown in jail your mother's going to find out well odds are you're going to attract the one state trooper who's going to look you in the eye and go i want to search that truck yeah. in and out step aside but you know if you're relaxed calm and confident and having a great time it's all good and yeah. have a nice day. What happens uh, over the course of a kidnapping? Do you, is it just whatever comes to mind? Uh, is there a is there like a the guise of 
getting a ransom out of the deal or well this particular kidnapping was more like um just sort of off the cuff his mm-hmm. scene was supposed to have ended um the day that we decided to go and kidnap him it was the idea was to transport him in one of these um metal body cages that mr s sells um for permanent bondage and so we're talking you know like a six and a half foot tall metal sculpture with you know a lot of artistry to it and you know you put the guy inside you lock him in and you know you can either have him standing or lying down so we sort of set up this whole thing in the back of my truck we rented a truck um, with an air mattress and the question was what to do well the idea is that we were just going to drive you know across country and if you read the article you see oh you know at one point we looked up and there was a giant billboard that said draw a crowd it was an ad for an advertising company oh photo op so of course we had to get him out pose him you know in the background snowy mountains giant billboard guy in a metal cage perfect take a bunch of pictures, cart him back in. That, you know, yes, we just made it up, but you know, things like that happen when you're when you're waiting for them. We'll but just keep going until something happens. The other cool thing is that this sounds like the opposite of what a real kidnapping would be like, right? It sounds I guess the word madcap is one word I think. Madcap, right? there you go. It sounds just like a whole bunch of fun, right? Absolutely. And we drive for another day and then getting really tired because kidnapping is really hard work especially when you've been seeing non-stop for about three weeks yeah and videoing and photos and this and that and shopping of course we had to shop at mr s and uh so we're driving along i'm driving along i'm probably asleep the wheel and trying to be a good kidnapper and good kidnappers do not get breaks they do not get soft beds they do not get you know Filet mignon, nobody congratulates you for your endurance, you know, driving across country, you know, wherever it was, Wyoming, not the most interesting state to drive through, but, you know, and all of a sudden there's a sign that says, Wyoming Prison Museum, historic site, and you think to yourself, wow, not only can I get a night's rest at a hotel, but the next day... I'm going to go visit a prison museum. (laughs) How fabulous is that? So we landed and the morning came, dressed my other friend up in his prison gear, his belly chain, got everything all set. He was done up like an inmate and we had the tour of the century through this museum. What did they, what did they, because I saw the photos, but what did they say? Sadly, they had been pestered online by people like us, uh, only with no, um, uh, let's just say, filters. Right. And uh, so they had kind of gotten wind that there was a prison fetish community. And they were like, you're not going to do anything weird in there. <laughs> and we're like, no, no, nothing weird. We're just going to take some pictures. And he's in a costume. Is that a problem? Well, no. But as long as you're not doing anything weird. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, we made a little arrangement. Ben Franklin might have been involved. And all of a sudden, it was just fine. Yeah. Oh, you know, go ahead. Okay, let's go on the tour. No problem. Let's take some video. Let's sit in the gas chamber. Let's, you guys need you know, me to buy you Jell-O? Because I'll go buy Jell-O if there's another Ben Franklin involved. Yeah, exactly. Anything so, weird is fine now. Yeah, um, pretty much. And so, um, 
we had a really, really nice time. They were quite considerate. Um, but, you know, we were just sort of your average tourists wandering through the museum. One of us were, you know, one of us was wearing a lot of, you know, genuine Hyatt restraint gear and a genuine prison, you know, jumpsuit. However, uh, along with us on the tour were three giant truckers with tattoos and, you know, missing teeth, like yourself. And, you know, like scars and and, and just the scariest, big, big, like seven feet. These guys were huge. Leather jackets and everything. And they were like, oh my God, this place is really creepy. (laughs) Everything the tour guide said, oh no. You know, and that was the reaction that they wanted. They didn't yeah. want people to groove on yeah. the prison. They wanted them to be horrified by the penitentiary. Because they kind of get off on the fact that they're not freaked out by this at all, right? Exactly. Right. So we weren't playing the we weren't playing the part. We weren't right. acting scared yeah. or disturbed enough. But there are actually several prisons around the country. Don't ask me to name them, I can't think of them. But they do offer tours. They offer Halloween nights where you can go. Um, as far as I know, uh, there's several prison-oriented weekends that you can do in the gay men's community. Mm-hmm. There may be others. Um, you know, I would check seriousbondage.com, and and you know they'll probably they probably follow it a lot more than I do. Right. But there's some pretty interesting. There's this one place in, uh, it's not too far from Minnesota. I want to say it's in Wisconsin, but maybe it's in Illinois. There's a squirrel cage prison model where each, imagine imagine a, a column of bars, you know, and then in that is, are these sections, like pie sections of cages. And basically, to get the person out, you have to rotate the whole thing around until finally that person can come out. They don't use it anymore because apparently people would die in there. You couldn't get them out. The things would stick. So it'd be like three days before you could actually get, you know, food and water back. Who knows? It was was probably not the nicest way to go. But, um, you know, just the the different designs, the different cells is kind of cool. And, you know, the idea of high security, this and that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's pretty cool. Is this something you've always had an interest in? I mean, uh, I'm always very fascinated by, you know, sort of Genesis stories that people have. Oh, sure. Um, Well, let's see. Um, I don't think I ever knew what a professional dominatrix was, other than maybe I had the sense that Elvira on television was some sort of, like, evil dominant lady. Yeah. Um, But that's kind of what I thought, you know, was cool. Um, let's see how did well, let me think for a moment when I was very little my mother took me to see Fantasia and there was a scene where all the women were getting dressed to be introduced to the gentleman centaurs mm-hmm. and uh, it's a very erotic scene if you watch it because they're kind of dipping in and out of the water and they're kind of half naked and the cherubs kind of fly in and start tying up their hair with vines. And you knew that something really naughty was happening because the camera point of view, it was a cartoon, but mm-hmm. the camera point of view is kind of behind the trees, kind of peeking in through the leaves and then pulling out 
and then peeking in through the leaves. And something about that, even at five years old, you knew that something naughty was going on. And so it was kind of, ex- it was like sort of my first erotic experience was like, oh, you know, I'm watching half naked girls getting tied up and it turned me on. And not that I wanted to get tied up, but I knew that I was, you know, I was getting to see something that you, you really shouldn't look at. Yeah. And then they step out of the water and they're bare breasted in this cartoon. And the cherubs come and they wrap vines around the breasts and around the body and kind of create these clothes for these girls. And the girls are like all of a sudden strutting around, you know, shoving their chests up. And I guess I was just old enough to realize that this was some kind of tremendously erotic thing for these girls. And from that point on, I tied up my horse statues. And I, you know, I went through the green stamps catalog and I found long line bra ads and I thought, oh my God, you know, <laughs> these women are wearing, you know, long line bras and girdles and nothing else yeah. in these catalogs. They're just drawings. But to me, that was, you know, just astoundingly erotic. And so I developed this sort of inner world where, you know, uh, the women and then the male centaurs, of course, was very naughty because they get, you know, chased around by um, the lightning god, you know, uh, for mating or for, you know, meeting each other clandestinely mm-hmm. you know, after getting all tied up and turned on. So uh, the men were never allowed to really, you know, get to the girls either. They were just sort of tied up and waiting and helpless and, and the men were punished if they were, you know, like trying to get to the girls. Right. When you're five years old, you don't know what sex is. You only know what you saw in this cartoon. But yeah, I guess, I don't know if I always, but I guess that was, those were the things that I thought were interesting to me. When people talked about normal sex or normal dating or kissing or holding hands or giving a girl a flower or writing a girl a love note, that was like, that was stuff for people who were like off somewhere else, you know? The stuff that I was into that was my world that was my dirty little secret that was the stuff that really worked for me for years years and years and what happened to go from your own secret world to reality oh let's see I landed in Minneapolis with um, uh, boy very little prospects and that's a long story you'll have to read my book to hear about all of that um, but a woman met me, I was wearing some leather and I was, you know, hanging out with the uh, Dyke Leather community, which was, um, pretty much through, um, the Michigan Women's Music Festival, right? And I was interviewing her for a local game magazine. Um, she was doing a performance art piece called Professionally Speaking. And so, you know, I mean, it's about a dominatrix, right? So I was going to wear some leather and kind of be like, yeah, I'm the insider here. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd been to like two leather conferences, so I probably knew more about the leather scene nationally than anyone else in Minnesota. And I kind of thought I was, you know, some hot shit. Sure. <clears throat> Hell, I had, you know, taken a workshop with Pat Califia, you know, so I was qualified, right? Sure. This woman was from Australia, and she took one look at me in my leather jacket and my leather chaps and my buzzed hair, and she was like, wow, are you in the leather scene? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it might be, it might be. She goes, well, why aren't you working as a dominatrix? And I looked at her like, do I look like a dominatrix? Because to me, of course, in my mind, a dominatrix looked like Elvira. Yeah. I didn't look like Elvira, right? 
I kind of looked like Ben Affleck at that point, you know? I find that hard to believe. Right, okay. but, you know, like my version of Ben Affleck in leather. And, you know, somehow I couldn't see how she saw me in, like, lipstick with long hair and long nails and cleavage. I was just looking at her like, what are you talking about? A dominatrix? Me? She's like, oh, my God, you're going to be gr- Look at you. You're going to make so much money. Well, I was impoverished at that point. It was everything I could do to get Sold. a I was like, lead me to it. So, um, yeah, I'm a bit motivated by cash, but only because I wanted more stuff, yeah. right? You know? I mean, I don't drive a Mercedes. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you remember your... Of course, how you, you can't kidnap someone in a Mercedes. That's really difficult. Much better to get a Chrysler 300 because they have this really cool, like, air-conditioned trunk. <laughs> What do you remember your first scene? Um, let's see. Very first scene, yes. Um, my girlfriend was wearing handcuffs, and these two other girls who were teaching me how to tie her to the bed um, used handcuffs, and uh, they hurt her wrists. And I was just kind of co-topping at that point, and I. You know, she's an extreme masochist, right? Mm-hmm. So I was supposed to be learning all these different things. But at the end, of course, her wrists hurt quite a bit. They put them on too tightly. They had tied them over the head, da 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 And what I learned from that is that handcuffs were bad. So I didn't use handcuffs for 17 years. Because mm-hmm. I just, you know. But it was also funny because, you know, before I started doing bondage and I was just doing uh, sex toy workshops... And, uh, you know, fuckerware parties for, for good vibrations. I would tell my audience very sternly that, you know, bo- rope for bondage was not safe, you know, because it could cut off the circulation. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, was I always into bondage? Yeah, but I, the, my first few experiences left me with the sense that it was not a safe thing. Yeah. It was not a good thing. So, just because my first couple of experiences, you know, weren't necessarily... I mean, that's why I advocate buying very good, very expensive equipment, going to a lot of conferences, a lot of workshops, get educated. I hired every person I could find in San Francisco and in New York to show me the ropes, literally. And I was very lucky. That was a time when very few people were getting into the scene. So it was you know, relatively easy to hire Cleo Dubois to, uh, I imagine it's still, she's teaching now, mm-hmm. so, you know, but it was, it's not sort of done, yeah. you know, to just sort of contact another professional dominatrix and say, teach me what you know. Yeah. Um, so I was very fortunate because I was part of a community that um, is much more diverse now, you know, the queer community yeah. and the kink community. But I was part of a community that was very devoted to teaching, learning, workshops, conventions, safety, safe sex, AIDS education, all of those things. And they were all a very powerful influence on me when I first started out. And you're still very, very much involved in uh, workshops. You, okay. you do quite, how many do you do a year? Uh, well, not for the last year or so. Um, probably like one or two. But mm. generally I give about mm, three, four, five workshops a year. Yeah. What what uh, what compels you to go to one event and not the other? For those, I'm sure there's plenty of events out there who are like, how can we get her here? This is like this is their way to to find out. Well, um, what motivates me is if I have something new to teach um, or some new passion. So the last series of workshops that I did was on metal bondage, 
And what I discovered was that um, while it is quite expensive to ship uh, seven boxes of latex for a latex workshop across the country, it is extraordinarily expensive to ship five boxes of metal right. bondage here across the country. Yeah. So I guess, you know, uh, when the people start offering me, you know, stipends to cover my shipping, I'm much more inclined now. Yeah. Because you can't take it on the plane anymore. You see, when I first yeah. started giving workshops around the country uh, or Canada or wherever, um, you could take four suitcases for free. Yeah. 70 pound, four 70 pound suitcases for free anywhere you went. Nobody was, nobody gave you a hard time. Nobody waited. Nobody cared. They were like, that's a lot of stuff for a little lady. It's like, yeah, you know, I got a lot of shoes. <laughs> and now it's like, a, you know, if you have one suitcase, it's 35 bucks. Yeah. So not to bring it down to money, but it was more fun in the old days. Yeah, of course. You could just pack everything. And less worries, right? I mean, now, do you, how often do you get stopped in security with the... Uh, never. Never? Never. Because you know why? Um, I never pack bombs or explosives right. or, you know, anything containing nitroglycerin. Sure. Right? And they're really, folks, they're really not looking for bondage gear. You know, unless you're dumb enough to put real handcuffs in your carry-on with real keys. Um, heck, I've traveled with, you know, the rigid cuff stuff, which is this massive aluminum handcuffs on the plane. And recently, and it was a huge, you know, a huge suitcase full of metal cuffs. And the guy's like, well, I'm going to have to look at this. I'm like, okay. Wow, these are beautiful. What yeah. are these? Oh, I'm an escapologist, and I have a little show that I do. Right. And uh, it's kind of like Houdini. Oh, wow. Wow, this is, wow, where did you get these made? And it became about the beauty of the, the workmanship, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so seriously, you know, people always say that to me. How can you get through security? Because I'm not packing explosives. That's how. <laughs> people, you know, they, they want to be demonized. Does that make you feel edgier? You know, I, I've never heard of anybody. Anybody. I've heard a lot of worried people talk about getting yeah. stopped. I've never heard of anybody being pulled off a plane because they had a straitjacket in their luggage. Right. I think, I think maybe when people are asking you that, they're not thinking... How do you get through? I think they mean how do you get through without being stopped? Because I think it's the why would they stop you? Well, like you said, they they stopped you and said, hey, well, what is this here? We want to take a look at this here. I think a lot of people don't want well, to that's experience a, that's that. That's a right. carry on. Right. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, carry on full of huge metal cuffs right. that are four or five inches thick. Absolutely. I would be surprised if they didn't stop yeah. me. But the heck if I was going to pay another 60 bucks for an overweight bag and I was giving a metal workshop in San Diego. Right. Um, well, this has, been, this has been great. It's been really nice uh, talking to you and hearing so much about you. And, sure, uh, sure. And hope, uh, now, is your book out? Oh, I'm working on it. I'm just going to say, like, I didn't see any mention of a book. What did I miss in my research? Um, it's based on the one-woman show. It's just a series of adventures. and. Do you still do the one-woman show from time and, to time? Uh, or is it... No. no? Uh, I did it... Um, Let's see. Well, four shows. I don't know how many shows. Seven shows total. It's a lot of work for not very much money. Yeah, yeah. But it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that's... Well, it, clearly from this interview, that's kind of like the uh, the motivation for just about everything you do, which is awesome, right? Um, 
Well, hopefully, when you get the book finished, you'll come back and I talk will. more about it and, you, you know, plug away. So, thank you very much for doing this. Absolutely. I had a wonderful time. Thanks for asking me. Ta-da! Yay! So, thank you to Amanda Wildfire for, for sitting down and uh, recording the episode. We're still here. It's been an hour, and we're still waiting for our, our plane. Uh, now they're playing Stevie Nicks. And the guy's still making out with his dog. It's really disappointing. Uh, Masochast.com. That's M-A-S-O-C-A-S-T. Uh, actually, if you want to connect with us on FetLife, and people have been, that's really nice. Uh, you can connect to the podcast Masochast is the simple username. Sod is actually on there, too. M-M-E-S-A-D-E, which... Oh, boy. Now, the, now there's a baby. This is going to be a hell of a trip. We will see you in another couple of weeks. Take care. <laughs>